God bless you, and thank you so much for joining with us tonight at Church on the Rock, Golden Triangle Church on the Rock. You know, this is my church. I love my church. And, you know, some people say, oh, my goodness, that's how preachers feel. A preacher calls it his church. No, that's not why I call it my church. Okay, because it's not the preacher's church. This is not brother's house. It's father's house. You know, and there's a little bit difference in being in brother's house and father's house. But the reason I say my church is because of Matthew, the 16th chapter and verse 18. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You know, uh, this gives me an indication that Jesus took church personally. He took it very personally. It's his body and his bride. It's the family of God in the earth. But he also took it personally. In fact, you know that Jesus thought so much of church that he went to church all of his life. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you want to be like Jesus, you will have to go to church. You cannot be like Jesus and not go to church. Why? Because Jesus went to church. You want to be like Jesus? You have to go to church. That's the truth of the matter. Jesus Jesus died for the church. The Bible says he's coming again for the church. The church is very important. The church is a called out people, a people called out of the world, called out and called together, called together and called to gather. Okay, It's an assembly of of people. Very important. The local expression of a church is a family. Just like every individual has a family, the Bible says in Psalms that God sets the solitaries in families, and he's talking about putting people into church. You know, there was even a church in the Old Testament, the tabernacle. One of the first things that God had the children of Israel do when they came out of Egypt was to build a church build a tabernacle, a place where God could live with them in the wilderness. And that church went with them all throughout the wilderness. And the first thing they did when they got into the promised land, you know, they continued to have church. In fact, they set up church at Shiloh. And and, and in Shiloh, they had there, the Ark of the Covenant was there for about 400 years, there with all the priests and everything, because God establishes churches. That's what he's busy about doing. And, uh, you know, there were many synagogues in the, in, 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 even in the day of Jesus. And Jesus, when he, he went to church in Nazareth, do you know he went to church as a little boy? According to the law of Ezra, uh, that's where young men learned how to read and write, was learning in the church, in the synagogue, at the synagogue, at the temple in Jerusalem or at the synagogues. They would learn to read and write by learning and copying Torah. Torah, of course, is the Word of God, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and there they would learn Torah. And they still do it today. When I go to Jerusalem, for example, and I go down to the Wailing Wall, there are all kinds of, of small enclaves of schools where, where uh, young men are still learning Torah, and whenever they become of age and go through their bar mitzvah, you know, they're put on shoulders and, you know, and, and they get to carry the Torah. Even uh, they, 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 they get to be responsible for it. They, 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 they come of age and become responsible for the Word of God, what we might call an age of accountability. But it's all becoming, uh, you know, accountable, but they do it, become accountable in the eyes of their church, in the eyes of their called out people and called together. Little families, little clans, little enclaves, basically small churches, even in, 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 in the Jewish culture, even though they don't call them churches. But when Jesus went to church as a little boy and he learned how to read and write and he learned the scriptures, you know, he went away and was water baptized at age 30 and he went out in the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted of the devil and, you know, uh, 
came back, he went right back to church in Nazareth. And that's in Luke, the fourth chapter. When he stood up to read, he was delivered the Torah. He was stood up, to, uh, the, the Word of God, rather, the scrolls. He was, and, and he turned to uh, one of the prophets, Isaiah, chapter 61, and he began to read. And he read, do you know the people got so upset because the passage he read was a passage that was a revelation of Messiah, talking about Messiah is going to come. You know, uh, uh, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor, to, you know, uh, to deliver the, the uh, you know those that are bruised and and, and brokenhearted, and uh, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of jubilee. And the Bible says, then He closed the book and He said to them, "This day these scriptures have been fulfilled in your ears." Do you know what His home church did? His home church leadership got mad at him because he just said he basically I am Messiah you know uh, this day these uh, uh, oh my it 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 made them angry they thought it was blasphemy that that a little boy that was raised up in their church was 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 you know was proclaiming uh, to be you know the fulfillment of of the 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 prophecy about Messiah and so they took him and they they carried him out they escorted him out they got him you know and led him out the Bible says led is a very gentle word, okay? Uh, they didn't necessarily drag him, but they certainly did escort him like, you know, like a, 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 an angry mob would. And right to the edge of where the, 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 the trash pile was there uh, and, and, and a cliff was in the city in that day and was going to throw him off and then would, would, would end up stoning him there, was going to actually kill him. And he turned and walked through the crowd. It was not his time. And God just miraculously had the crowd part. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus walked down, most likely this is the trail he would have taken, down the hill a little bit from Nazareth, right through the, through the city of Cana of, of, of Galilee, where the wedding was, right down to a little a valley floor. He took a right, okay, going east, and he walked about 16 miles and right down to the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, right past the city of Magdala, and he walked right into the town of Capernaum. You know, the, and, and the excavated city is still there. Some of you may want to go with me next November, and I'll, I'll show you all this stuff. He walked into Capernaum, and the Bible says, on the very next Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue. What, what does it mean? That means that... He was kicked out of one church, but you know what he did? The next town he went to, he joined the next church he came to. He believed in the church. He believed in the gathering and the assembly of, 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 of the children of God. And he was there. And the Bible says that Jesus on the Sabbath went to the synagogue as was his custom. He would enter into, he would, and when he went to Jerusalem, he would go to the temple. You know, going to church... I don't know why, I'm, 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 I don't know why, this is not in my notes, but I'm just giving this to you for free tonight, okay? Uh, um, you know, the church is a called out and called together and called together people. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But come together so that you might exhort and encourage one another even more and more and more as you see the day the last days approaching, the day of the Lord approaching. It's important that we receive that admonition. You know, we don't uh, teach much here at Church on the Rock about uh, church attendance for a couple of reasons. One reason is you're generally talking to the wrong people. They are here, okay? And so, you know, if, if you want to...
teach on church attendance, you might want to do it on the street corner somewhere. Uh, excuse me, instead of church on Sunday, because you know you're talking to the wrong people. And uh, and and uh, also, it's very important to realize the Bible talks about in the building of the church, in the building of the sanctuary in in Jerusalem. The Bible says this, that God did not want the sound of the hammer to be heard in the sanctuary. All of the rocks that were quarried, all of the stones that were cut and shaped and pounded on, and they had to be. They had to be pounded on. They had to be chiseled. They had to be shaped. Then they had to be sanded down. I mean, they are so exact that there's no mortar in there, no mortar at all. And the stones right now, if you were to go and see uh, uh, the portions of the wall, the stones are set in just just ever so much. I mean, just 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 a couple of millimeters in as it, as as they go up. No mortar at all, but you cannot even slip a piece of paper between them. They are so exact, so they had to be sanded. I mean, just just perfect. But all of that, okay, all of the sound of the hammer had to be done in the quarry. God did not want the sound of the hammer to be heard in the sanctuary. You can do a little sanding. I'll sand on you a little bit here, but I'm not going to hammer on you. If you need to be hammered on, I'll see you Monday. Okay? I'll see you outside. Not going to use the pulpit here as a place to hammer on the lively stones that God is using to build his sanctuary. We are lively stones built together as a habitation of the Lord. And nobody needs to get in our pulpit and go to hammering on folks. And those of you that have been here a long, long time, remember, I'll get up and stop a preacher from preaching to the church that's going to hammer on the people. I'll do it nice and kindly. But the fact of the matter is, and, and some hammering needs to take place in your life. Iron sharpens iron, okay? But uh, we're, 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 we'll, we'll take that opportunity somewhere else. In here, we're going to uh, fit us together as lively stones. doesn't mean we won't get some strong meat and some strong word, but it does mean that the sanctuary is a place where something should not happen. Okay? So, uh, one of the reasons why... We don't preach too much about things that are just going to take a hammer and just beat the hell out of you. Okay? All right. All right. We'll beat the hell out of you somewhere else. And here we're going to polish you a little bit, shine you up, put you together. Okay? All right? Anybody needs the hell beat out of them, you come see one of us. Okay? I got some people I can send you to. Amen? That's the, that's the word of the Lord. Okay? All right, tonight, Life Shape. We are continuing with module four of our Life Shape, talking about the future. It's, it's my favorite subject. You know, a part of the calling, I think, that God gave me and a part of my temperament, and many of you have this very same temperament, many of you have this very same uh, 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 heartbeat, uh, you know, uh, and, and some of you don't. And the ones who don't, I'm the kind of guy that aggravates the heck out of you, okay, uh, because I live in the future. You know, I live in the future. The future, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll do what, it, what, what, what is necessary to take care of today. I will take care of my today. I'll do it. But my heart and my hope and my outlook is on the future. And so many times, uh, details really don't matter. I'd, I'd rather not even know what's going on today. I'd rather not even have anything. You know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, it takes us all together in order to make 
it, the whole thing work. And just because, you know, uh, you're not the hand or you're not the foot, the eye can't say to the ear or the hand of the foot or the person who lives in the details of today cannot say to the person who looks in the broad brush of the future, you know, I have no need of you or you're wrong. We all need one another, okay? But uh, this particular subject, the future, is something that just really uh, rings my bell. I love it. I love to look a long way down the road. I love to plan things that we aren't doing and whatever we are doing take care of itself. But I like to look at things that we haven't done. And I know that really can, you know, you know, it doesn't float everybody's boat. Thank you for being so kind to me. I promise you that I, we, we have staffed our weakness, okay? And, uh, uh, but the future in module four is just, just, just really speaks to me. I, I'm, I love it. Even though we see through a glass darkly and even though, you know, we only know in part, the little bit, the little glimpses that we get are such marvelous, um, uh, uh, glimpses of hope. I love that about the future. Tomorrow is always a better day for me. Uh, you know, uh, next year, uh, 10 years from now, a thousand years from now is always a better day for me. It's always something that, 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 that I can easily overlook whatever I'm tripping on today. I can easily, uh, it, it, it's just a temperament I know. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I can have patience for the day. I can have patience for the people. You know, uh, uh, we'll, we can look at it in a year or two or three. You know, let's, let's look, uh, you know, six months or six years down the road and, uh, let's look back on it after 20 years and see if we really, you know, accomplished something for Jesus. That kind of thing doesn't bother me. And so this particular subject and this module in the future, I've really enjoyed. And tonight we're talking about something that's a long way off in the future. It's at least a thousand years from now. We're talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. We're talking about what God's going to do in the long term future. It's a part of our future. And uh, this new heaven, new earth, uh, our key scripture tonight comes from Second Peter. Even 2,000 years ago, Peter was looking forward to it. He didn't know he was looking at least 3,000 years forward. He thought it was a little bit closer. He said in Second in Peter in chapter 3, verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking forward. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That's the look, the outlook that we should gain. For, for me, it's fairly easy, but for some people's temperament, it's not as easy to look a thousand years ahead and to imagine a reality, to imagine that something is really going to happen and we have a, we, we have a glimpse of it. Uh, tonight, we're going to uh, look at this life block by beginning with our important points. So follow me here on important point number one, okay? Uh, this is a long point, so follow me on this, all right? Important point number one. After the tribulation and after the battle of Armageddon, after the millennial reign of Christ on the earth, okay, I'm putting these things in sequence, okay? After the tribulation and the final battle of Armageddon and the defeat of Satan and the great white throne judgment, after the devil and his angels and death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire along with all of those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, after the heavens and the earth and the works are dissolved and all of the elements melt with a fervent heat, after all of that, God is then going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, That's the truth. After all these things happen that we've been talking about, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. 
That's what it says in Revelation 21 and verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You know, the old one will be done with everything we see, all the elements, all the works on the earth, everything will melt with a fervent heat. The heavens will vanish and be dissolved because of this great fire and fervent heat, and, and the earth as we know it, and everything on it will be no more. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 65, verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Okay? I don't know how God's going to do that, but I know that He is. Just as much as at one point God looked down and saw the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. You know, once again, this earth will be completely void and there will be no more sea. And God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And the former one will not be remembered or come to mind anymore. It will not be a part of our longing, a part of our conscious consideration. Important point number two. On this new earth, there will be a city, New Jerusalem. God's holy city will sit upon the earth as a bride which has been adorned for her husband. There will be a new Jerusalem, a new city, a heavenly city sitting upon this new earth. And it will be fashioned, the Bible says, adorned as a bride for her husband. Isaiah 65, the next verse uh, after we read verse 17, verse 18 says this, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. You know what? We will. We will be glad and we will rejoice forever in what God creates. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. You know, uh, even the prophet caught a glimpse. And I know he's, he's painting a poetic picture here, but I also believe these words are valuable in that they come together to give us an understanding of exactly what Revelation 22, uh, 21 says in verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, this is the picture we're getting of this new city, of this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. That means that the, the, this bride is, is, is ornate, like a bride. That means that this, this, this city is, 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 I mean, it's dressed to the nines, to the elevens, to the, to the, uh, it's, it's, it's so magnificent. It's as though that, that it were a bride all dressed up, the best you could dress. Point number three, God is going to dwell, God himself is going to dwell on this new earth with man. God himself is going to live. He has said that he will take up residence on the earth with man in this new Jerusalem he will move his throne to that city and he will live with man on earth. 
Revelation 21, the next verse, as you can tell, we're going through Revelation and Isaiah here. Uh, the next verse in Revelation says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God himself will dwell with man in that new city, on that new earth that God will create. Isaiah 65 verse 19 says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Wow, what a promise. This brings us to our fourth point. Our fourth important point is that there will be no more crying, nor death, nor sorrow, nor pain. Isn't that tremendous? Think about it. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to put the most ornate city that is beyond our imagination. He's going to move his throne to that city. He himself will dwell with us, and there will never again be any crying or sorrow or pain. There will never again be any tears, never again. And we will no longer have any conscious concern or remembrance for the former things. It will be so wonderful. I've heard it said that there's no crying in heaven. Let me correct that for just a moment, if I may. I don't mean to... to, uh, to uh, uh, um, um, you know, run against someone's favorite uh, doctrine here, but that's not the truth. It's not an accurate picture of heaven, okay? This is not the picture of heaven, by the way. This is the picture of the new earth, okay? This is the scripture people use to say there's no crying in heaven. Uh, that, that's, the Bible never says that. It says there's no, uh, that, that, that God will wipe away every tear. That's what the scripture says. I believe there's a lot of crying in heaven. I believe there'll be a lot uh, I believe so much so that it will take God himself and God alone to wipe the tears from our eyes because of the sorrows we have. Because not everyone will be found in heaven. Not every one of our loved ones or those who are around us. We will all of a sudden be brought to a recognition of the opportunities we missed to tell others about Jesus Christ. And we will be sorrowful. Even those under the altar in Revelation 6 are crying out to the Lord to avenge them of those who martyred them in the tribulation. And there, I think there will be great weeping, so much so that only God can heal the sorrow and the pain that we will know when we realize the opportunities we have missed. Uh, only God can wipe away that kind of sorrow. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear. Uh, and uh, in fact, Revelation 21 verse 4 says this, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That means there will be tears in their eyes. So much so that God himself pays attention to that deep sorrow. And, and ministers to it himself. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Only God 
can change these things. I don't know how, but he will in this new Jerusalem. It'll be one of his first acts as he moves his throne there is to wipe away our hurt from the past. For the sake of our time, let me just read to you um, a portion of, of the rest of Revelation 21, a little bit in Revelation 22. Here are some more important points, all right? Uh, we'll cage you like that. Let me just read this and you just listen. Revelation 21, verse 5. We'll just read on from there. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. He's the beginning and the end. Wow. Verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. There's another message to the overcomer that we find throughout the book of Revelation. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Let's look at verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone. It was clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles of Christ. Look in verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, talking about a bride or a you know, uh, adorned for her husband. You know, each gate is just one solid pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Wow. So, so pure the gold that it's see-through. Isn't that amazing? Think how big that oyster was, by the way. Wow. Verse 22, but I saw no temple in it. There's no temple there. Interesting. No church In New Jerusalem, no church in the new earth. Why? Well, it plainly says, for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. <laughs> I mean, they will be there. The whole city will be a temple. The whole city will be church. You know, if you want to go to heaven, you know, you'll have to go to church. <laughs> for eternity. Oh, wow. Well, I'm glad because I enjoy it. Verse 23, the city had no need of sun, or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. Why? Because the Lamb and the light. The Lamb is the light. But uh, it says, and... Uh, they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, verse 27, and there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, 
was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Verse 4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the throne of God where he lives with man. There the whole city is a temple for the Lamb and God himself are the temple from then on. Important point number five as we close. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life may enter the city. Think about it. Only those who have been born again by the blood of the Lamb and whose names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life may ever enter into that city. Now, I know it's at least a thousand years away, but the day will come. And the most important thing is that you and others that you know and come in contact with between now and that thousand years, that they have every opportunity to be born again so that they in that day may enter into that city. Well, you have a future. In fact, you have an eternity, <laughs> okay? You, think about it, you, you have an eternity. Think about it. Your future will last forever. Eternity is ahead of you. Where will you spend eternity? Where will your family, your friends, your neighbors, where will, you know, your, your you know, uh, people that you meet in everyday life, where will they spend eternity? Well, some of that may be dependent upon you. It's important that we realize that not everyone has heard the good news yet. Let me close with 2 Peter 3. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting, you know, while you're waiting for this thousand years, okay? While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul, brother Paul, also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. The patience of God right now, while we're waiting, it's the patience of God, hoping that men will be saved. Are you saved? Your family, your friends. Tell somebody about Jesus. We may as well. We've got to wait a little while. Do something while you're waiting.